Today's Bible reading is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gesesnap. And when the men had of that place recognised him, they sent around all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Who is Jesus? That was the question, actually, in a very similar episode to what we've just read back in Matthew chapter 8, if you recall, when we were there. Uh, when Jesus had been in the boat with his disciples, do you remember? And he was sleeping away and, and a great storm suddenly whipped up. Uh, and then being woken up by the terrified disciples, uh, he spoke a rebuke to the wind and the waves and he calmed the storm. Uh, do you remember? That, that episode ended with the same question in Matthew eight twenty seven. The men marvelled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? In other words, who is Jesus? I wonder what the disciples have learned about Jesus in answer to that question between that episode in chapter 8 in the boat and and now this one in chapter 14. This uh, incident that we've just read comes right on the back of that miracle last week, do you remember, where where Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, Uh, who knows, I suppose, maybe fifteen or 20,000 people all up. He fed them all from five loaves and two fish, and with 12 basketfuls gathered up afterwards of what was left over. I wonder what the disciples are thinking about Jesus after something like that. And, of course, all the other things that have happened since chapter 8. It feels like Jesus wants to know that too of his disciples as he sets them on their way, on their own, in this boat now. 
Uh, immediately after that miraculous feeding, it says in our verse 22 here, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. It's almost like Jesus is setting a new stage here, isn't it, with these directions, quite deliberately it seems, to, to reveal something, I think, to his disciples privately this time, but without all the crowds. He made the disciples get into the boat and he sends them off that way and the crowds, all those thousands of people, he sends off on foot, of course, some other way uh, and uh, probably back to the towns, we would think. And he himself, meanwhile, retreats on his own to pray on a mountain. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, of course, where all this is going down, it's surrounded by mountains all the way around. It's going three or 400 metres up kind of mountains around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus takes time out first on, on one of those mountains, but then he comes to his disciples in the middle of the night. When evening came, he was there alone on the mountain, it says in verse 23. He was there alone. But the boat this, uh, by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. We know this story of Jesus, most of us do, I'm sure. I mean, most of the world knows this miracle of Jesus. And it says exactly what it does say. Jesus was walking on water out in the middle of the sea. This miracle is told also in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, and in the Gospel according to John, chapter 6. They give the additional details that the disciples were heading towards Bethsaida, Capernaum, Area towns that were in the, in the delta area of the Jordan River as it flowed down into the Sea of Galilee from the north. So we know where this is. It's in the Sea of Galilee, this incident. John tells us that they had made it as far as about three or four miles into the journey across the sea when they fell into trouble with this storm in the boat. And depending where they left from, that's, that's maybe only halfway across their journey. The Sea of Galilee is, is, is six to eight miles wide uh, and it's like 12 or so miles long. So, so this miracle, sorry, it's not happening on like an inch or two of water uh, in the shallows or something as we, as we might be inclined to try to explain it. No, it's far from land and it's in a deep enough sea that there are serious waves hammering this boat. It's not... There's not some submerged jetty or something that, that Jesus is walking on to pull this off. No, no, this is a miracle in the middle of the sea. He is walking on the sea, the rough sea, in fact. Hence why the disciples are terrified, verse 26, not because of the storm this time, but because of Jesus out there walking on this sea. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. 
a ghost because, you know, like where Jesus was and, and what Jesus was doing is physically not possible. The laws of physics deny this, plain and simple. But that's what miracles are. That's what miracles are. Just like the feeding of the thousands that has only just taken place, the laws of nature are temporarily overturned when Jesus works his signs. Which means that the laws of nature are in Jesus' hands. They must conform to him. The disciples thought he was some kind of spirit too when he rose from the dead later on in Luke 24. They think the same kind of thing because what they witnessed then in Jesus also contravenes the basic laws of nature. In his telling of this miracle, Mark adds the detail that Jesus had intended to pass by the disciples on his way. On his way where? Where was Jesus going? Across the sea, on foot, Jesus was going, but that they caught sight of him, Mark tells us, and they freaked out, thinking that he was a ghost, and and so then he came to them to comfort them, the way that we've just read here in Matthew. Perhaps it was going to be the kind of miracle where Jesus miraculously arrived at Capernaum on the other side before they did, and and they would have been just as freaked out, I, I would think, as to how he did that on foot and over such rugged terrain around the edge they would presume, uh, you know, the long way around it would have to be in, in the dark of night over mountains. Or, or maybe it was just so that, you know, accidentally on purpose, Jesus could walk past them and, and let them see this scene. His power over the universe displayed. At any rate, I think the storm here is, is good because it sets up the disciples to see this, to see this of Jesus and to hear of Jesus. Something astounding in the works and the words of Jesus here. His authority over the laws of nature, without doubt, to be sure, to be, to be walking on the middle of the sea like that. But, but then also his words, verse 27, because immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, he says there in the middle, in our English translations at least. And that's one way you could make sense of the the original Greek underneath here, and and it fits very well with what's happening at least. I mean, mean, it's not a ghost, it's Jesus, as real as real can be. I don't know about you, though, but if I put myself in that boat and imagine what that would have been like, you know, Jesus walking on water in in the middle of this stormy sea, me freaking out, thinking it must be a ghost and, and feeling with fear, and then to hear Jesus saying, take heart, it's me, don't fear. I don't know, but I'm not sure that really fixes my fundamental freak out as to how this just cannot be. And therefore I don't know if it's really going to go very far to calm my fear. Eventually it would, of course. The more simple and plain way to render that Greek of what Jesus says here in the middle there is, I am. 
I am. Ego eimi in the language of the day, I am. The name of God, that is, with which God revealed himself when he appeared uh, to Moses in the burning bush. And so some of you might have a footnote in your Bibles uh, to that effect. Either saying something like, you know, literally, he says, I am, or, or pointing you maybe to Exodus 3.14. Because the words Jesus uses here are the words God gave us for his own personal name when he appeared to Moses in Exodus 3.14. And they are words that in Jewish culture were never spoken out of reverence for that name. But Jesus in the Gospels used that word freely and he used it of himself and he did so right here. Take heart, I am. Be not afraid. So if you don't have a footnote along those lines in your Bible, then then now you know. Which might well have freaked out the disciples even more, I kind of think, because no matter how we do translate it or, or understand those words, the plain fact of the day remains that in the language of the day, Jesus just said, I am. And just to do that in that culture could spark all kinds of fire. In John eight fifty eight, for example, after Jesus said that in public, that the Jews picked up stones to stone him to death. Here, though, of course, he's just with his disciples. Be of courage, I am. Do not be afraid. We might also look at the brackets around the, the I am in the rest of what Jesus says here. The, the repeated idea, really, it's two ways of saying, you know, do not be afraid. What he doesn't say is, hey, guys, it's me. Oh, and also, we shouldn't be afraid because the Lord will be with us. No, the very least of what he's saying here is, it is I, therefore, do not be afraid. After they eventually calmed down, they might have thought about that a bit more. Or maybe while they were still in the boat, they caught a sense of this. Because aside from the whole identity question we were just thinking about, what Jesus is functionally doing and saying here has got scriptural overtones through and through. Because in the scriptures, it is Yahweh. I am the Lord God who says things like Jesus just said. He's the one people look to for comfort. For example, in Deuteronomy, the Israelites are getting ready to cross the Jordan River at that point to take possession of the promised land. Moses had said in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Why? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Sounds a bit like Jesus when you think about it long enough. In in this crossing of the waters by these Israelites in Matthew 14. Take heart, be not afraid. It is I. Again, God himself said in Isaiah 41, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. 
But that's what Jesus sounds like here in Matthew 14. Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Sounds like what Jesus is doing and saying here in Matthew 14. And so we could probably go on. Jesus sounds a lot like Yahweh here when you slow down and read it. I wonder also if there might be things going on down in the sub-engines underneath all this fear that the disciples are trying to work their way through. Think about the context here and what they've just been through. John the Baptist, who testified to Jesus, was just killed at the start of this chapter. Jesus too had been rejected at Nazareth at the end of chapter 13, just before that. We thought about this last week and we reflected on Luke's account of that last week, that the Nazarenes had attempted to kill Jesus too. And now Jesus has just put his disciples in a boat to cross these waters on their own. And I suppose they must be wondering to to who knows what kind of reception they're going to get when they do get to the other side. How are the people in Capernaum and Bethsaida going to respond to them as, as disciples of this Jesus? They have been there before, actually. Jesus pronounced woes on those towns back in chapter 11 for their unrepentance. Despite all his mighty signs, they were unrepentant. Jesus pronounced woes. And now these disciples have been sent back there on their own. Maybe there were fears down in the sub-engines for these men around all of that sort of thing. But also, of course, a restless sea in, in the literal kind of sense. that The waves were beating against that boat, and at verse 24, the wind was against them, and obviously that wouldn't have helped, I'm sure, being all alone without Jesus. Jesus doesn't calm that storm right away, did you notice that? He doesn't calm that wind the way that he did back in chapter 8. Now Peter is still afraid of the wind, verse 30 says. Although at first Peter seems to be uh, courageous in his response, or, or maybe not in his right mind, I kind of wonder. I mean, it's a bit of a strange request from Peter, wouldn't you say? But perhaps he was trying to get keyed into that question from, from back in chapter 8 uh, of who this Jesus is. Verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. What does Peter mean there by that word, Lord? Jesus just said, I am, the name of Yahweh, the name of the the Lord, all capitals from, from our Old Testament scriptures. And Peter replies, if it is you, Lord, Command me to come to you on the water. Since we're thinking about translations of names, we might also think about that word too. This is what the Jews would say instead of saying, Yahweh, I am. The name that Jesus just did say. No, no, Jews would never say his actual name out of reverence for God. So they would instead just say, 
this word, Lord, or Adonai in their native tongue. And they borrowed that word to use it that way. So it has other meanings, like the way that we still might use Lord today. But think about the context long enough, and, and I think it should become clear. Because no master, no, no sir kind of word, no earthly kind of interpretation fits with Lord here as it falls out of Peter's mouth. Because no earthly meaning of that word can possibly fit with what he is asking Jesus to do. To command the forces of nature on his behalf. Only Yahweh can do that. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This, I sense, is the question Jesus has set all of this up for, for his disciples to process. A question, therefore, that in this gospel he is putting to you and me too. Who is Jesus to you? Mark tells us a little bit more. Mark chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves from the miracle last week, that is, the loaves of bread. But their hearts were hardened, he says, and still hardened, at that point, I think Mark means, and still somewhat hardened if we factor in what Matthew does here say. They are, they are seeing it, they are, they are getting it, but, but they are still figuring all this out about Jesus, still freaking out, we might think, too, because the answer to the question in front of them is there, clear as it might seem, but it is too much to handle. This is just too much. They're filled with awe and wonder. But how can all this be true? I mean, Peter's getting it, I think, one minute, but, but the next he's having doubts. Understandably, I'd say. I guess they must be freaking out. You know, on top of everything else, they must be freaking out. Uh, you know, why would God incarnate... Be here, of all places, in the middle of a dark and stormy sea with them, a bunch of nobodies. But they are getting to see such impossible and wonderful things 
and why? It must have been hard to properly take it all in. But these guys have been privileged to see something here so impossible and wonderful of their Jesus, their Lord. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. That's another town just to the west of Capernaum. When the men of that place recognised him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Now these people have been shown miracles too. And if their hearts were opened, they too might have started to process this question and, and the obvious answer that Jesus was God. Nobody can heal. Not even today can anybody just heal, and, and certainly not in this way, touching the fringe of his garment. The heart would be fairly resistant, fairly hardened to, to not see what all this must mean. But it is God who opens hearts. And sometimes he opens them slowly, it seems. This whole episode in the narrative seems to be reminding us of that question that, that runs right through all four of these Gospels. What are we to make of Jesus? Who do we say that he is? And does it matter who Jesus is? I reckon we could form that as, as a kind of follow-up question to that tack on the end. But yes, if the Gospels keep bringing us back to that main question about who Jesus is, as the narrative keeps rolling along, it keeps bringing us back to it, then, then, then I guess we say that yes, it, it must be of certain importance. And therefore we have to wrestle with this question and figure out who we say Jesus is. Why even tell us all of these miracles? We know that the miracles aren't ends in themselves. They're not what Jesus came to do. We've already seen and come to the, to the cross as, as his purpose in coming uh, when we went through the end of this gospel in our, in our earlier series, The Christ. We know where this is headed. It's not headed to healings or, or feedings or, or incidental miracles on the sea. It's headed to our forgiveness unto the kingdom of heaven because Jesus came to die for our sin so that you and I can be righteously forgiven of God. Jesus said as much over and again, and, and he did as much too. But on that matter, on that very heart of the gospel and, and why Jesus came, do we believe? Do we believe? Do we trust that, that what Jesus said and did for us on that cross was enough? This is where his miracles set firm our faith for salvation. Jesus fed all those thousands back on the other side of the sea from what a few men could devour amongst themselves. Do you believe that that happened? He walked on water halfway across the sea do you believe that miracle? He commanded the same on behalf of Peter 
and then saved him. When his lordship was in doubt, he cemented his authority over the physics of his world, reaching out and taking Peter's hand and and lifting him up. Do you believe that miracle? And then he healed everyone of everything on the other side. And, And this time, if only they touched the fringe of his garment, they were healed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus truly did all these miraculous things? Or do you think they're all just like stories? What do you think of Jesus' words there in verse 27 now that we've uh, drawn out some footnotes and flagged those things out? That he uses God's name in, in the language of the day, I am. That he also seems to assume God's function, <laughs> be not afraid. Have you put your trust in a Jesus who is less than God? Have you come to a Jesus who you think might let you drown? Is your Jesus truly, at the end of the day, going to save you? Or or, 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 or do you think he could suddenly lose you out of his hand? On everything Jesus promised us, all that he said to us and did for us, we can trust him if he is I am. We can trust Jesus if indeed he is I am. This private miracle in the boat is is like a key, I reckon, to to help us unlock all of the miracles. Why Matthew tells us all of these things that Jesus did along the way. So so that if we were to go away from this one thinking something like, you know, can can my faith help me walk on water? or or I'm probably missing the point of why Matthew has told us this. We're supposed to be wondering, I'm sure, on the back of all of these miracles, we're supposed to be wondering who Jesus is. Why? So that we know that we can trust Jesus on everything he promised to us, everything he did for us on that cross, securing our forgiveness unto the kingdom of heaven. We can trust Jesus because he is I am. It makes all the difference in the world. He is the one who holds our hand and calms our fear. He is the one who will save us. He is the one who will be with us in all of the storms and to the end of the age where all this lands in Matthew 28 verse 20. So we have to think back to his main message yet again. What was it when Jesus began his ministry? What did he proclaim? Matthew 4.17 Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's ours in Jesus because he is I am. Blessed are we if we can see, if our hearts can see Jesus for who he is and and understand, therefore, how sure is his reward. This is the word of God in Matthew 14. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for your scriptures to us and for the privilege of thinking through this gospel 
afresh. And for the fresh look at this miracle today, one we all know, no doubt, this miracle on the Sea of Galilee and the healings too on the other side in Gennesaret. Thank you for what the miracles of Jesus display. We know, Father, he was not being irreverent or or, or contending with your word or, or with you or, or something like that when he said those words on the sea. But, but this is very hard for us to take on board and, and yet you call us to believe. It's hard for us to process, like these disciples, it's still hard for us too, Father, to process who Jesus is. So please do be with us in that, we pray. Give us soft hearts, clear hearts to see the true Jesus. And through him, give us peace over our salvation in him at all times and in every way. On account of your good name, we do pray these things. Amen.